So hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and I'm really delighted to be joined by Karen Jones. Karen is the Director of Consulting and Partnerships with Denison Consulting Europe, and she specializes in very high impact development programs for teams and one-to-one coaching um, that operates at a deep level of attitudes and habits. So this should be a very interesting uh, episode today because I know uh, Karen's work leads to sort of effective management and leadership style, something that a lot of us are are grasping with today, particularly given the amount of change that we're all experiencing and going through. Uh, And that, you know, Karen helps to drive this compassionate accountability and progress. She earned a master's in health science research models from the University of Newcastle and a postgrad in business consulting from Newcastle Business School. And finally, Karen works directly with clients and partners to share uh, an evidence-based approach to defining and diagnosing current state organizational culture. And obviously that organizational culture is a really hot topic today. So I'm really looking forward to our discussion today, Karen. Uh, I know you help people have the honest conversations that help drive those specific actions. So welcome to Vista Talks, Karen. You're very welcome today. Great. Great to be here. And thank you for the invitation. Thanks, Karen. Well, look, let's move on. Let's get into some of the questions for our audience today. Could you maybe share for our international audience a little more in-depth information about the work that you do, a little bit about your journey and how that resulted into the current work and the position that you hold today at Denison Consulting Europe? So over to you, Karen. I, I think what we do at Denison is kind of sounds quite straightforward, but it has a whole kind of the devil is in the details. So we basically help clients define what we mean by a high performance culture. We use the word a lot. It's often really intangible. It's often really nebulous. uh, And most people are really struggling to know where to start. So we have a systemic and a structured definition and approach to diagnosing your current state and to defining 12 areas that we know really high performing organizations are clear and aligned on. So we make culture tangible and we drive honest conversations around it. Um, and I, I came into the, this whole process. I started my career as a nurse. Uh, I ended up in doing plastic surgery, NHS plastic surgery, not cosmetic. Got fascinated by the whole psychology of care. Went off and did a psychology degree. Kind of then moved into... Um, Um, preventative so became a health visitor got really interested in preventing health rather than picking it up down the line Um, then I got interested in evidence-based practice I went off to King's College I did lots of research I moved to Newcastle Medical School and then I got really fed up with producing all this evidence that none of the practitioners ever had any time to read so then I wanted to move more into implementing evidence-based practice so then I became a senior public health specialist Then I got really frustrated that actually um, we weren't all that good at creating change because public health is a lot about inspiring people to do things differently. So then I moved into organisation development. And then my CEO at the time said, Karen, I want you to do something about our culture. And I went, wow, that's that's great. Sounds like a big audacious goal. I kind of like them. What do you want me to do? And she said, I don't know. 
I said, well, what's wrong with the culture that, we should, that we've got? And she said, well, I don't know, but I, uh, I want you to go and find out. So I found the Denison Organizational Culture Model, and I was pretty incoherent about culture before I found that. Once I'd got this model, once I'd got it into my head, we then created a common language around culture. We could measure it, we could diagnose it. And then I took that into my organizational development work and basically it became our framework. So kind of a portfolio career, which probably is shorthand for I get bored easily, but actually um, it's been really good experience to help me do what I do on a day-to-day -day basis now. Thanks for sharing that journey, Karen, because I think the, the, the sort of thread, if I followed it through, is that, you know, you were always trying to improve things and that there was kind of like, you know, very culture focused and, you know, making sure that it was making a difference. And it kind of brings me nicely onto the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is Denison's mission, because I know that they love to help boost the performance of organizations, right? Because you improve corporate culture and leadership, something we talk an awful lot about today. And interestingly, when I look into the sort of history of Denison, they they really grew, didn't they, from some of those tools that you were referring to, you know, this mm -hmm. diagnostic assessment type tools. Mm -hmm. But my question for you really is this, Cam, when you're working with an organization or with individuals today, there must be various tools and approaches that are sort of used in, in sort of today's terms to help organizations and to help uh, individuals. So how do you go about that? And what are some of those kind of tools uh, that you that you work with yeah well, let, let's be really honest you know I can't boost anybody's organizational culture because it's not mine to boost so we really start from a, a co-creation kind of perspective so the most the most the fundamental tool that we have is a diagnostic so actually before we get to the diagnostic it's a model Dan Dennison did his PhD 30 years ago and his question was what is it about an organization's culture that we can prove will drive measurable performance indicators? So it's a model that really looks to see where does it make the difference in performance? So it's, it's, it's a less of a psychological model. It's a much more a kind of high performing organizational effectiveness model. So that model itself, even if you get nowhere near the survey that sits behind it, that model is a really amazing checklist. And the model says that high-performing organizations manage two fundamental continuums. They're externally focused as well as internally focused. They're stable in how they do things as well as being flexible when they need to change. So we have, we have this, this diagnostic and what we basically do, and here's, I think here's our USP, you cannot manage change without understanding what people first believe and assume to be true. Uh, because unless you understand where people start, you'll never, you'll never move them in a way um, that actually gets them to act. Because we, we believe something, we think something, we feel something, and therefore we act. Uh, and I'm working with an amazing partner um, right now who's helping clients really understand the brain, the, the neuroscience behind that. And I think that's one of the fundamental mistakes leaders and managers make. We tell. So we, we, our, our, our intervention is to ask, to ask people, what are you believing and assuming to be true, given the experience that you've currently got of working where you do? 
So the diagnostic yeah. tool is, is, is the starting point. And we can segment that so you can have a heat map to, to understand where your different subcultures are, which is an amazing place to start to have really specific conversations that may be different. I like that a lot, Karen, particularly the cultures and the subcultures. And mm. it, while you were speaking there, it reminded me of, you know, that sort of old acronym about, you know, fear and false educate, false uh, education appearing real. And you kind of what you think and what you believe. Uh, okay. Sometimes in an organization, it's some of the thoughts and beliefs that you have, they're not necessarily accurate or based on data. Uh, well, my, my, and that's what I would always say to clients, the, the, the cultural work is is emotional uh, you know and i know some people would love to feel that we leave our emotions at the front door when we enter the office metaphorically that's nonsense <laughs> you know we all have a lot of emotions we all we you know and that's why i'm working with 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 the partner um, ducks in a row because they're basically saying we do have to understand you know the 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 how, how do we how do we make each of our leaders and managers None of them can suddenly become psychologists, but we have to, from what we know about how the brain works now, how do we take that and understand that sometimes for some people to control, to be, to, to be insisted that you meet a standard sounds like control, they'll hear that as a threat and they'll move away from it. And then we'll label them as resistors to change. And then that'll embed the whole process even further. So yeah. why, I, why I love this diagnostic is that, you know, we, we talk about the mission. So are we really clear about the strategy? We align that in a dynamic tension with, are we bringing people with us on this strategy? So are they empowered? Um, we can never empower people. You can only really empower yourself, but you can create the, the conditions that makes that easier to do. Are they really in strong teams? And, and do we see capability as a competitive advantage? So... How do we take, how do we get ownership of the strategy, mission to involvement? Then we talk about understanding the market that you're in. So the customer, whether that's internal or external, how do we take that understanding of the customer into creating change? And when we create change, how do we do the organizational learning from both our successes and failures? That sits opposite consistency, which is then saying, are we coordinated? Or are we in silos? Do we handle conflict on the agreement piece? Can we really celebrate diversity in thought and have a great big argy-bargy of differences of opinion? But then when we've decided what's right, we're absolutely in agreement. And do we finally, our core values, do we actually know what we stand for? And do we stand for those, those guiding principles? So do we have leaders and managers that practice what they preach? And do we have people that, that hold each other to account when they don't? So, you know, for, for me, really understanding what somebody's truth is, because if it's true for them, it's true. You know, but we can begin to have a very different conversation once we understand, you know, what the diagnostic looks like. And then not to make a judgment of that, but to remain really curious. Why have we got the, the, the results that we've got? And there's always really powerful stories around it. So how do we create a psychological, psychologically safe space for people to begin to say, yeah, I don't think we have a vision or a purpose because I've never heard one or I've heard it. I don't like it and it doesn't resonate. So it's, it's a really powerful co-creation tool. 
Um, I really like what you're saying there, Karen. Really like that because I suppose it's the it's the sort of balance to that false uh, evidence appearing real, isn't it? It's kind of the uh, when you actually get to the truth, when you cut it all away and you get to the truth about how people are actually feeling, then you can start to deal with it. And I also like that you you always have this sort of one eye on the important: is this moving us forward? You know. Um, and you you mentioned the working culture and subculture that's really important in an organisation. Well, well, you know, one organisation will never have one culture. They'll have subcultures. Now, those subcultures may be um, heavily influenced, obviously will be, by the leadership. But just because we get some, some lower scores uh, within each of the subcultures may not mean that that leader's not doing a great job. It may mean that that function is really in a, in a, in a difficult context. So I'm always really curious, you know, always really cautious to say, let's not assume what we, let's not interpret what those results mean. Let's go and find out. We have a 360, which I loved when I was a client because we could then connect. If, if we thought there may be a leadership challenge or a leadership development you know, um, area, we could then go and ask the leader to be brave enough to ask peoples for their perception of them as an individual leader. What are they contributing in their functional department that's driving the collective high performance culture? So it's a really powerful developmental process for any leader that wants to be able to understand their contribution to driving a high performance culture. It uses the same model. So it's the same language. Uh, and that for me, when I was in the NHS, I have to say we were spending a fortune on leadership and I could never quite understand what that meant when the leaders came back. But now we can we can tie those two things together. Yeah, critically important. And uh, I think with all the great points that you've made there and all that's going on within an organisation, both the stuff that you see and maybe the stuff that you don't necessarily see that you have to dig around a little bit. In yeah. today's modern way of doing business or international business we talk and and value don't we a lot more i think today than we've ever done things that like empathy and empathetic leadership and integrity oh. and inclusion and diversity and when you when you sort of layer that in as well to some of the fundamentals that we were talking about a moment ago these are these are challenges that organizations are facing mm -hmm. with particularly when they want to grow and they want to be successful and they want to yeah. do things the right way you know and that you, you you know you can add in you can keep adding things in sustainability esg you know yeah. dei so when you're when you're talking to companies and organizations across the world karen what do you see any sort of common patterns is everything completely unique and everything's a you know we, we've got to we've got to bespoke this or are they all having similar organizational <laughs> challenges what's your view yeah um well to my relief they're all having similar challenges uh and it, it's kind of you know they're all struggling to embed their core values I am constantly, in, and I really don't ever want to get to the day when I'm not shocked. I'm, I'm constantly shocked how many leaders cannot recite to me their core values. So I don't think I don't think core values are often embedded, and therefore they're not modelled, and therefore they're they're often not uh, guiding principles that people can absolutely trust on. Um, I think lots of lots of um, leaders and managers. We talk about the word culture. We don't really understand what we mean by that, and we don't define it. That's generic. Um, we're all too busy 
busy, busy, busy. We're all too busy to stop and reflect. I think most, you know, most, most leaders and managers are working two or three levels down from where they're actually paid to do. So I think we often get too caught up in the operational stuff and there's very few, very few spaces for leaders to stop and really reflect what is the purpose? What are the strategic priorities? Most people struggle with actually having a priority because everything's a priority. Then the priorities change. That causes frustration in the teams because they've been working really hard on one thing and suddenly now that's changed. I think strategy is often not very inclusive. Leaders feel that, okay, they, they do lead the strategy, but actually they can go and ask the people that are going to be implementing the strategy whether they think that strategy is right. So I think there's often a reluctance that not to, not to go out and be inclusive on that strategy. Um, silos are still talked about a lot. We still have perverse incentives. We still, we still kind of reward leaders for doing their bit and often not for maybe giving something up because it's better for the business as a whole. Um, uh, and so I, you know, I, I, I think we often map strategic aspirations onto the culture model, which is really powerful to say, okay, here are your aspirations. Here's what your current state of your culture looks like. Do you have enough clarity and alignment to actually um, reassure you that you're going to execute on that? I think execution, we spend a lot of time on the strategic part, but much less time on the ownership. Yeah, so, yeah, I agree. Yeah, you spent, that is where a lot of time is spent. Yeah, completely agree, uh, Karen. But something, I just wanted to jump in if I can, I'm sorry, but something that you said really, really hits home. And that's that leadership, leaders today are so busy, so busy. Mm. Uh, and they're also, the other thing that you said, which really made me think is they're also working two to three levels below where they should. Mm. And they, it is not having that time to maybe stop and think and evaluate. And mm. also the, I suppose, the the values that haven't really been been embedded in the organization mm -hmm. that, as you say, most leaders can't even recite. It is quite staggering when you look at it from that perspective. And I think when, when um, you know, it's a brave company that asks senior leaders to leave because there's a disconnect between the behavior and, and the espoused values. You know, I, I've, I've only known a couple of companies um, that actually do that respectfully, but do that really honestly. You know, it's a really powerful story when a leadership team is brave enough to say, um, no, so-and-so is, is going to part. Um, we wish them well, but actually they're parting because there's a, a disconnect between the behaviours that we expect to see here. Yeah, and often those, you know, some of those people can be making large contributions to an organisation in many different areas. But ultimately, oh. if there's a bad culture fit or there, is, there are other things that aren't aligned with the company's uh, values that can be a hard decision for for leaders to make can't it really hard but also how do we how do we calculate the cost you know i was working with a small company you know small sme 50 people uh, they, they'd invested in the in diagnosing their culture we'd, we'd sent everybody off on two-day emotional intelligence workshops really serious uh, about getting this right they had a, a young ambitious sales director that 
was quite toxic in their behavior. And it took them 18 months to actually say enough now because he was the best salesperson they had. But actually nobody had worked out what he cost them in undesired turnover, in sickness rates, in lack of innovation. You know, we have to get much more sophisticated in working out the actual cost of, you know, my favorite definition of culture is that it's, it's the worst behavior we're prepared to accept. Yeah, that's 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 really, really good. And I, I think that the cost of the toxicity is often the thing that is least calculated. You can yeah. you can easily see the stuff that's being brought in in that in that example you shared, revenue from a you know top performing salesperson. Yeah. But when you add up the other toxicity costs, if I can use that in inverted commas. Um, it's only when you stop and really think about that, isn't it? And it, it all comes back to that alignment with company values, doesn't it, I suppose? Well, you know, I, I did suggest this company, you know, take the values off the wall if you're not going to do something about this person's behaviour because it, it just breeds cynicism. You know, and I think there's very few companies, more and more now, actually, that don't just have the four or five words. You know, you have to drill that down into, and here's what you can expect from your leaders, because we have that value. And here's what the company will expect from you. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about high-performing teams, Karen, if we can. Yeah. Let's talk about that high-performance culture that, you know, many companies, they're, they're seeking to create that today, aren't they? They're, they're seeking to deliver those business results. Mm -hmm. Are there any examples? I mean, you don't have to name names, but, you know, is there any sort of sort of examples that you could share with us or any common building blocks or approaches that help to develop these high-performing teams within organisations? Yeah, you know, I mean, we obviously we have team orientation of, as one of our indexes. And, and that for us is a lot about how do teams cooperate across the, the company? So it's not just within teams. You've got to be thinking about a, a connecting across teams. Teams need to know what their job means for them and how it connects to the, the corporate goals. Uh, and they also need to understand that teamwork will be um, influential in decision making and it won't be it won't be usurped by hierarchy when the going gets tough um so um i like to use the lencioni uh, uh model a lot uh, i don't like calling it the five dysfunctions because it's about the, the five functions of a high performing team so i love to say you know let's start with trust you can't get trust without openness. You know, we, we have a client engagement program that talks about honest conversations after diagnostic. Actually being able to have honest conversations is actually quite a challenge. Because really, it's an easy thing to say, but actually being honest about what you're really experiencing. So that building, how do you start to build trust? And that has to start with openness which creates the psychological safety. And that has to start with the leadership team. You know, there's lots of leadership teams that, 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 that aren't particularly um, cohesive or I think very trusting of each other. So, you know, starting with that trust, once you have that kind of trust, you can begin to, you can begin to deal with, there's less of a fear of conflict. Okay, I, I know a bit about you. You've been more open with me. We can start to have more conflicting conversations without taking it personally. And I can begin to value your difference of opinion and begin to put myself in your shoes. 
then because we're getting the conflict out of the way, we can we can we can drive the commitment because we've got the disagreement and the kind of the, the nonsense out of the way. Really strengthening that commitment starts to take, you know, starts to um, starts to enhance the accountability and then that drives the attention to results. So I, I really love Lencioni's work. Uh, and for me, it's also I'm also really surprised uh, that um, not everybody understands who they are, what their preferences are. So I like to use insights discovery as a really nice, gentle introduction. And then if I understand who I am and what how I prefer to see the world, I can then start to understand my emotional intelligence and how I can have the best impact I can for other people who may see the world very differently for me. So I, I like to use those, those different tools. You know, if I don't know who I am, I'm not going to understand the impact I have with other people. If I don't make a smart choice about how I choose to be open and how I choose to manage myself in order to drive stronger relationships, you know, I and and that's not a given, even for senior leaders sometimes. Yeah, I, Karen, that's fascinating because. I'm thinking here that something that you said as well is is really on point that for people that are trying to develop these high performing teams that are cohesive that work well together that deliver results mm -hmm. um, you know and that, that has a healthy culture that people want to be part of um, you can't get to that uh, you know that first point that you were talking about there that trust unless you are open but I suppose in this busy world as well a lot of people maybe aren't even stopping to analyze themselves and to really reflect and think about where they're at, never mind the interaction with somebody else on the team. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, leadership starts with self-awareness. And, and actually, you know, how many leaders have actually given themselves to time to really ask the question who they are? And, and we know that, you know, people will be more trusting of a leader that's always kind of tough because that's who they are rather than one that oscillates and people can't predict what they're going to do next. So trust is an outcome and it's an outcome of, yeah. of being open. Uh, and, and, and I don't think we have anywhere near the levels of openness. And, and I think that's inefficient. You know, if, 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 if we've gone through that process, I know who I am, I know who you are, you know, I'm okay and you're okay, but we're really different. We can have a very, very powerful, more efficient conversation about what's what what's not working in terms of the doing, but we don't get confused in the being. Hundred percent, yeah. So, so Karen, I mean, as we as we come towards the end of a bit of our time here, hmm. I wanted to ask you something else that I, that I think our audience will be interested in, and that is individuals and businesses of all shapes and sizes globally have gone through a lot of change in the recent years haven't they you know yeah. we've had a global pandemic we've got financial markets we've got political and you know um yeah. conflict tensions across the world we yeah. you know some companies are going through digital transformation or have had to go through it to survive um we've had this huge move to remote working or hybrid working We've had technology developments. We're seeing the rapid advancement of AI currently at the time of recording. Now, this must all ultimately impact culture performance, because to me, looking you know outside in, it seems like it's 
all this stuff is mission critical, the things that we're talking about today, but the backdrop has been quite chaotic. I mean, what are your views on that when, when it comes to the impact of culture? Does that just really drive home how important this work is? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I think the hybrid, the hybrid working has really, you know, it's really challenged the traditional, I can see you, therefore I know that you're working kind of belief. You know, that that's that sense of what does control look like? How does a manager know that somebody's had a good week? In order to do that, you have to be really clear on your priorities, on your outputs, uh, etc. And I, th- I think the hybrid, the hybrid working, if you've got those, the the strong relationships and you've built up the trust and the openness, I think I think talking on Zoom becomes much easier. If you've never done that, then I think you know if you've never spent time in those relationships and building the trust, I think those those team meetings on Zoom become much more challenging. Um, you know, what does fairness look like? What does, what, you know, how, how trusting are we going to be? I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the four day a week, you know, um, pilot, uh, actually they're saying it's working. People are, people are performing. And, and of course, if you trust them uh, and, and if there's that kind of strong reciprocity, between I'm not going to micromanage you. We know that micromanaging is not inspiring or motivating, um, but actually I'm going, I'm going to be clear what I'm expecting you to do. Uh, and then, you know, how do you know whether you've done five days working for, unless you're really clear on that. So I think it's been exposing some of those, some of those gaps, which, which, which has made people feel quite vulnerable. And, you know, we know that our brains, when we feel vulnerable, we go into threat. So we kind of, we clamp down. So, I, I think the hybrid working has really put a sense, you know, how how do you build a high performance culture when you're not seeing each other very well? You need even more clarity and alignment than you than than you had before. Sorry, I was gonna say, Karen, there's a new uh almost a new type of leadership that's required for people who maybe have spent the last five, 10, 20 or more years working in a in a, 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 a let's say an office environment where as you say people are in front of you you can go up and have a chat with them but when you're mm-hmm. hiring people now internationally which a lot more organizations are doing you know even small medium and large organizations yeah. do yeah. being able to to measure outputs measure the end result and to still have that consistent uh, good company culture in a remote first environment it does take a lot of thinking doesn't it and it comes back to embedding some of those principles you were you were talking about exactly you know I mean I think that was that was the great thing for us you know normally before before COVID-19 we would be on site for kind of two days and it would be a big big whammy you know when we went virtual you could you could iterate more so you could you could have a couple of hours looking at the data people could go back and reflect you could come back together and that, that really taught me that actually, you know, this is a journey. We can create different spaces, even virtually. But, you know, when we do bring people together face to face, we better have a really good reason why we're going to do that. And people need to leave thinking, wow, that was worth coming in. I'm not just doing what I could have done at home. Makes a lot of sense, Karen. Yeah. Well, look, I, we could talk about this stuff all day. Um, <laughs> And I know there's an awful lot more that we haven't touched on here. So look, before we wrap up today, I wanted to ask you, is there any other sort of key topics or areas or anything else you'd like to mention before we uh, wrap up today? 
we've kind of we've done our own in-house kind of innovation so you know we are looking much more at sustainability now uh, and at digital transformation and at de and i um, as well as trust and commitment and, and engagement and really understanding you know what are the cultural drivers if you're really focused on that what are the cultural drivers and i suppose i would just have a plea to anybody if we're talking culture make sure you can define what you mean by that because it's a word that's that's spoken about really easily and i think it undermines its importance if we don't know what we mean by that thanks karen that's a great point for us to uh, uh come to an end on uh, for today's show so thank you so much indeed Make sure that you uh, tune in uh, again to see and or listen to another episode of the Vista Talk show, where once again, we'll be discussing some more interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you, Karen. It's been a pleasure to talk to you again today. Thanks very much. It's been a delight.